This is the Black Hole Podcast with host Ryan Millsap. With a vision of how real estate could turn into movies and how movies could turn into money, Millsap set out to build the state's largest film complex. After checking that box, Millsap returned to his entrepreneurial roots, where real estate ventures, entertainment opportunities, nonprofit support, and golf course business deals rule the day. What's next for Ryan Millsap? Listen up, and you'll find out. Today on the podcast, I'm pleased and excited to introduce an incredible entrepreneur and a very dear friend of mine, Avi Adot. He's a fellow podcaster, a fellow real estate aficionado, an alum, as am I, from USC in Southern California, and an entrepreneur as well. Avi's career took an interesting turn during COVID, whose didn't, but in this case, when COVID hit, Avi, who was a real foodie, turned his obsession, the perfect sandwich, into a business that hit Los Angeles by storm. Carla Cafe has become a much sought after delicacy that you've got to try when you're in LA. We'll talk food, cities, obsessions, and more. Help me welcome my very, very dear friend, Avi Addo. Avi, welcome to the Black Hall Podcast. Good to be here. I'm a listener. Well, uh, you're an, you're an inspiration too. <laughs> so many, many of the things that uh, we talk about, I talk about on the podcast with other people. When you think back to your childhood, what do you think shaped you to put you in a psychological place to want to be an entrepreneur? I can't, um, Childhood, I, I automatically would think about parenting. I, I can't think about anything parenting wise in particular, but I would say um, going through school, uh, the mold of school just didn't fit me. And so I think I think the fact that I never felt comfortable under the confines of other people's rules or other people's ways of, um, you know, measuring performance, I, I think all of that made it... Uh, I think it made it hard for me to ever imagine having a job, <laughs> right? I, I think I think that's a part of it. How old do you think you were when you started to think? I don't know if I like these structures, and I want I might want to make my own structures, or God, I just wish I didn't have the confines of these structures. That might be what you feel. Maybe even middle school. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. Maybe even middle school. You started to think. I think I'd be better off with creating my own structure. Yeah. Well, and then and then um, my dad was essentially an entrepreneur. So, um, yeah. Tell, tell everybody a little bit about your dad's background, your parents' background, which uh, kind of gives into some of your background. Yeah. But my parents are from Iran, um, moved here in the late seventies, uh, to America, Los Angeles, but all part of that, all part of the major exodus of, um, the revolution of the Iranian exodus during the revolution. Yeah. Where I think, um, most, most of the Jews left, and really any, um, any, uh, Muslims that weren't extremists left too, or that, that were secular and, and more progressive for whatever that meant in the seventies. I think, I think they, um, you know, like my friends that are Persian Muslim. Yeah. Their parents were like seeing what was going on. They're like, no, we can't, we can't stick around for this. Well, I mean, Iran in the seventies, you see all the pictures. It was looked like America in the seventies. Yeah. So it was, you know, men, women, all having very similar rights, mm -hmm. uh, society, having a lot of liberalism in the sense of having a lot of freedom. And then suddenly you have a regime change 
that bends toward a lot of um, autocracy. Yeah. And so your dad saw that coming and said, let's get the kids out of here. Yeah. yeah. At the time, was it just your sister? My Only my sister was alive, yeah, born at that point. And then I think mo- moved his siblings too. Figured out a way to kind of get everyone in America. Had to leave assets behind, homes behind, and then basically start a new life here. I think he was able he was able to get a decent uh, foundational setup to to start himself. And I don't know what I, I think. Even back in Iran, I know he was uh, he had stores where they would sell different forms of electronics. You know, at some points it was like maybe radio. At some points it was refrigeration. And then, so when he moved to America, um, I think he then kind of followed the same path. At some point, they uh, had a, a a huge, I think, multiple locations store, kind of like uh, Circuit City, but it was called Allen's Mart, named after my brother. Uh, him and him and his brothers ran that together. We're doing really well. And then uh, I forget the exact like you know a perfect storm of events where then that that folded. And then uh, at some some point switched into video games specifically, um, became a video game uh, wholesaler or distributor. Like an early GameStop kind of, but no, no rental, but. Yeah, but more was uh, supplying. This is back when there would be, uh, it was probably even pre GameStop, but so there would be like retail stores that maybe didn't have a big like chain brand name attached to them. And, they basically would rely on uh, suppliers like my dad who would maybe get direct or closer to direct from Nintendo, Sony. Hmm. And then they were relying on wholesalers. And so um, my dad was running that business for a while. And this was all in LA. You, you were born in LA. Yeah. Your other two brothers were born in LA. Yeah, exactly. And so everybody grew up, you know, very culturally American but yet mm-hmm. still having a Persian community. Yeah. Hi- hybrid. 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 Uh, but then your parents, their first language is Farsi. Correct. Yes. Yeah. And what was that like growing up? Like when you, um, I think, I think that was another, maybe part of my, uh, struggle with school a little bit. I, I didn't, I couldn't necessarily go home and get help with homework. Um, I think Farsi might've even really been the first language I learned. Right. So, of course, so yeah. um, I just remember, I remember being in school and just feeling, uh, behind compared to everyone else. Um, and I think a part of that was like, uh, a language and, and cultural thing where I think, I think, um, the non-Iranians or people that had American parents, they had the benefit of learning some things like directly from their family that maybe would sometimes apply to school or, mm-hmm. or subjects that would come up. I think the language, you know, I don't know to what extent the language thing was a barrier for me, but definitely it was at, it was at some point a little bit of a, a struggle. You know, we have listeners of this podcast all over the world. Say something to uh, the listeners who might speak Farsi. <laughs> oh man. It's got, <laughs> so this is a funny thing too, is that my, my Farsi used to be amazing. And then at some point my parents wanted to learn English. So then we, we transitioned to like speaking no, I English in the house. But I've but, heard you, I've, I've watched you speak yeah. to your parents. In <laughs> say hello to your parents. In I, it used to be better. My accent used to be better. Uh, salam, uh, <laughs> mama and baba, uh, 
shit, man. I like now, now I'm so used to speaking to my parents in like a, almost like Spanglish. Oh, but Spanglish. Persian. Right. Spanglish yeah, so I, I, I mix in, I mix in like Farsi and English. Uh, and so yeah, it's yeah. not, it's not until it's like not, someone is pure. If it's someone is speaking to me like in Farsi, then I'll, it'll like, I can start pulling it out, but right. like for me, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Right. I didn't mean to put you on the spot, but you know, I always love watching you speak uh, Farsi to your parents or to your uh, other uh, relatives who only, you don't speak English yeah. as well. And um, uh, it really, anytime I see people who have a true other language that is um, fluent or semi-fluent, I always find it to be impressive because even, you know, I speak a little bit of Spanish to get around and, and my Spanish is okay. It's pretty but, good. But my Spanish, I've never felt like I was fluent. Like it, it, it feels like a code language. Yeah. You know? Right. And it doesn't feel like an actual expression of like a human expression of my ability to articulate myself. Like I have no idea what my accent sounds like in Spanish. I have no yeah. idea how to like really have intonation differently in Spanish. I don't have any nuance in Spanish, you know? So yeah. that's why it feels like a code language to yeah. me. And so when I see other people that actually like can live a life, yeah, right. In another language and actually have a personality yeah. in another language, I've never gotten to experience that. But but I would say Farsi feels like that for me now too. And I, th I think you, you, it's some, a conversation you and I had, and you made me realize it, that it's unfortunately been a barrier between like me and my dad being able to have as deep of, um, like conversations as we otherwise would. Cause he's such a soulful guy because he, if, if he, if, when he wants to get into his deeper ideas, then, then words will come out that I've never learned, you know? And then same thing for me, if I want to articulate something on a deeper level it's it's going to come out in english at this point you mm -hmm. know and mm -hmm. so i won't i won't have the words in farsi to so that's a that's been an interesting like kind of side effect of having to move here and like you know like the that barrier with communication with your own parents yeah even um that at one time when i was at your house and and your dad had that um poetry book laying yeah. on the on the table and it was all written in farsi yeah and i was looking through it and i said you know who is this who is this poet and he starts telling me about the poet and tells me the poet's name but he's using the poet's first name and maybe even the poet's first name and middle name yeah um but it turns out it was Rumi. yeah right i'm like oh it's Rumi. okay all right but <laughs> but even that even that in that he didn't know that i as an english speaker might only know him as Rumi. right exactly whereas like in farsi they obviously refer to him as his first name yeah. like madonna and someone you would both know their work like deeply yes <laughs> but yet that like even that there's like a barrier just trying to figure out who we're talking yeah, about yeah yeah right, right. is a barrier but but your dad is so soulful that uh he cuts through language i think he cuts through yes. language pretty well you yeah. know uh in that he um he can speak he speaks with his eyes and his tone and his just spirit his spirit sure. comes through for sure even in english for sure it comes through yeah um anyway so that's kind of you know that's some of the background let's talk a little bit about um carla and I want you to, you know, you've sold, you've told this story so many times, but tell tell the short version because people can go find out more about Carla. They can read articles yeah. or whatever. They can just research about it. But um, let's talk a little bit about it. But then I want to talk about more of the effects of of you getting to unleash this part of your life. Yeah. Right. Which I think has been such a joy to watch. Right. And I know has brought you a lot of joy. But. Um, to give you guys context who aren't, aren't from LA, um, Carla Cafe is what Avi started uh, in 
COVID and it's become, you know, I mean, barely even arguably like um, anybody who knows, knows that a Carla cafe sandwich is the best sandwich in Los Angeles. And that's all evolved in a short amount of time. I think three years, really. Three years then. And, uh, and they're getting ready to open their first storefront, which is funny to think about like how much growth and how much uh, success they've experienced without a storefront, <laughs> which is also kind of like a modern phenomena. Mm-hmm. Uh, but with that as a little context, you know, yeah. tell us, tell us what happened there. Uh, I think for me, I, I, it's hard to bring up the start of Carla without bringing up the last venture I was working on. <laughs> like, so I was working on a, a startup. Uh, it was a mobile app called Truy. Um, I had, I was working on that since my early mid or early, early to mid twenties. And at that point, I think, I think when I started Carlos 29, so I was like five or six years into working on this, on my own startup that, um, just wasn't taking off. And then, so COVID hits, um, going to lockdown and, uh, I, I don't know if I was going to naturally come to grips or come to accept that I couldn't keep fighting to maybe make truly happen. Um, but when the pandemic hit and there was a pause, I had a, a conversation with my brother and we we talk about it and we decide like this is Alan, right? Yeah, this is Alan. Um, what can you start working on now to make money? Um, what What's anything you could do right now to make any amount of money? Because he's a realist. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. Right. He, yeah. I mean, he as much as he wants to encourage dreaming. Yeah. Alan at the at the core is a realist. Like For he sure. Went, he's a, he's a concrete realist. For sure. And so I think he probably struggled with not wanting to, uh, step on my spirit, but at the same time was like, you're about to be 30, <laughs> right? You have a girlfriend you've been dating for probably eight, nine years at that point. <laughs> Right. That's for waiting for you to be able to marry her and you're not making any money. All this startup is doing is costing, you know, my, my dad, at that point, my dad was helping fund it, um, with money that he didn't even, he didn't, he doesn't really have like excess income right now. So, uh, and, and he's like, and then it was an interesting constraint of, of what can you do make money now? Like, so at, at the time, I don't know if I told you this, but, I was working to, because I was aware of like, if I wanted to start working on, keep working on Truly, I still needed a source of income. Mm-hmm. And so I had started working on taking my broker's license. No, I remember you telling me that. Bro- yeah. Mm-hmm. And so, and I was doing it during COVID and, and I mean, it was all straightforward. I understood it, was, it wasn't difficult for me to learn. I, th- I think I was understanding it at a high level of like what, what, what is being a good broker actually look like. But when it came to the actual like functions of what it takes to do that job well. And uh, but me thinking about doing that, it was soul crushing. Jay right. Lux is so lucky that you'd become a broker. <laughs> <laughs> you would have taken over everything. I, Beverly Hills. <laughs> <laughs> I just, so, so, um, but w- when I told my brother, Oh, well I'm working on getting my broker's license. He's like, yeah, but even then, how long is it going to take you to close your first deal? I mean, like, what are you going to do to make money right now? And so like next week. Yeah. And so when he came, <laughs> when he gave me that constraint, we know what, wasn't there another constraint? You can't drive Uber. Yeah. Yeah. The other one, like basically anything where you can make any amount of money now besides like driving Uber. Right? <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, sometimes you need people in life to give you constraints. I think a lot of constraints create sometimes. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, cre- it, 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 it generates creativity because there's constraints. Yeah. Yeah, and you would think that the uh, lack of constraints would allow more creativity, but sometimes uh, constraints bring about the right kind of functional creativity. Or, or if you go to engineering firms, one of the primary purposes of having managers of those firms is to give the engineers constraints. Right. Because anybody, well, not anybody, a lot of engineers can figure out how to build a rocket to get into space or go to the moon or whatever. But if you don't, but if they have no budgetary constraints, right, they could, they can do that. You have Elon Musk come in and say, well, no, we're going to do all this, but we have these kind of economic constraints because we need to be able to make a reusable rocket and this and that. And and he gets the best out of them because he's squeezing all the creativity under those constraints. Yeah. That's why he's had more success than NASA. Right. Because it was harder for NASA. Is SpaceX making money already? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, right. Like SpaceX, even, even, SpaceX it has huge, massive billion-dollar contracts with the government. Right. Like take, he he know. could have, he could have won about that as like I'm rich and my goal is just to make a rocket that goes to Mars. But instead, he's he's like, well, how do I start building? Uh, how do we start working on rockets? But then start making money doing this so it funds itself so that eventually we iterate to the point that we get to Mars. That's right. Right. So, um, so Alan puts these constraints that are, you um, got to start making money and you can't drive Uber. Right. And then, so now, and so when he tells me that and I'm thinking, well, what the fuck do, what do I know how to do? I <laughs> can <laughs> <laughs> start making money tomorrow. It's a real bitch when you real like, as I think about this all the time, I don't really have a trade. Yeah. Like I don't have anything to fall back on. Like I'm not a doctor. Yeah. I'm not an attorney. I'm not a well, not even an electrician. I'm not an electrician. I'm not an accountant. Like literally there's like nothing anybody would pay me to do. Yeah. Right. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Right. So So, my, my entire existence has been imagining things to put a whole bunch of other people to work to do in many ways. Um, And that's what the job of a developer is, is to imagine and then put teams together and then execute. But I'm not, I'm not necessarily executing the particulars. No, I'm just in charge of giving the constraints in many right. ways. Right. Um, and then, and, and then providing accountabilities to, a, to a point. Right. So, um, and then, so this is where, so when I'm thinking about what can I do to make some money now, this is now I'll have to like rewind to a couple years back. So I'm in the heat of working on Truy, the startup that I was talking about earlier. And, when I was working on that startup and, and you're, when you're trying to make um, a consumer technology like that take off, uh, there's a concept called product market fit. Like where, where, when, when you've built a product that consumers actually want, like the signals will be there. And, And if you actually create that product in the right way, like the growth will just like take off. I mean, any of these, any of these apps, anything that's taken off, um, in technology in particular, but probably really anything if we were to think about it, but you cannot build like a massive company through just sheer paying for marketing. Like ultimately you you need to create a a product so good and so useful and and it fits a need so well, and maybe even a need people didn't know they had that the consumers will, will basically do the marketing for you. Uh Right. And then, and then you could supplement, you could do little things to spark, to spark some like 
or but ultimately, like if you're really going to grow, like most of that growth is going to be from other consumers, like Snapchat, Facebook, whatever, any yeah, of these Instagram, not, none of them have mm-hmm. been through paid ads, right? You can't, it's not, no paid marketing is going to do that free. So it all actually comes down to like the, like creating the right product. Do people actually use it, consume it and like it. Right. And so I understood that like, so when I was working on Truy and I was in the trenches for that, it was all about what iterations of this product, like what, how do I have to keep iterating this to the point where it has that spark where you could, where you could see that that energy is there. Mm-hmm. And, and so you start to understand, and then you understand what that signal is supposed to look like. And when I'm in the middle of trying to create a product that's going to have that signal at home as a hobby, I was making, uh, I would make sandwiches for Jessica and I, and when Jessica would post a picture of that sandwich on Instagram, she would get the most DMS in response to a picture of that sandwich than anything else that she'd ever posted. And I mean, like, two months later we would be at a wedding and someone's mom that follows her would be like, where did you get that sandwich? We're like, what, what are you talking about? What sandwich are you We're like? Oh, that we made that at home. So, and so that's the, other, and then the other thing about this, like you also want to look for the right type of signal. And the, the thing about that signal for the sandwiches was it wasn't people just being like, Oh, uh, cute. That looks good. It was like, people were like, where can I get that sandwich? Where can I get that sandwich? Where can I get, they didn't know it was homemade and everyone just wanted to know where can I go get it? And so when I'm working on they a start, tasted it yet. They had just, any, the just, just looking at it. Mm-hmm. And so for me, when I'm like, I've been like grinding five years on a startup looking for that type of response mm-hmm. and it was just there with those sandwiches. And so like, as you'd imagine, like, I, so that was like interesting to me, but also a little bit frustrating. I'm like, what the fuck? Yeah, like I'm, I'm trying to create this with something else. And then, but with these sandwiches just kind of there. And, but at the same time, I was also like, okay, but what am I going to do with that signal? Mm-hmm. And so it wasn't until years later, my brother's like gave me that constraint of what can you do to make money now? Where then I went back to that memory filed away where I was like, well, I'm pretty sure I could sell some sandwiches. <laughs> The, the right. signal seemed to be there. The signal seemed to be there for product market fit already, but still I didn't imagine to me when I was, I was like, the signal is there that I could start selling probably 30, 35 sandwiches out of the house, maybe like once a week and put a couple hundred dollars in my pocket. Right. That, that was like what I thought the, right. You're so, meeting the constraint. Right. Right. <laughs> yeah. Right. Right. I mean, if you, if you can figure out a way to make a few thousand dollars a month. Yeah. Right. right? You could kind of, I mean, yeah, right. Not really pay for yourself, but it was something start for down me. The road for me, it was for something for yeah. me. It was like just mm-hmm. I, and I think that's what he wanted me to feel, too, is just like I want you to get the feeling of just some sort of income that you're creating on your own. And mm-hmm. so. Mm-hmm. um, So, OK, so well, I, that's actually one of the um, one of the benefits of being forced into taking care of yourself at some point. Right. Is that constraint. Yeah. Right. So you were fortunate enough to have parents who had enough space in their house and enough money that they could give you maybe too much freedom. Right. In that regard. Right. And so if you would have been forced into that constraint at age 22, Right. You might have started making sandwiches at age 24. (laughs) Or or something else. Yeah. You, 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 You wouldn't have been able to indulge the hope 
I yes, would, I would. for that long. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. And so that that constraint, that false constraint on some level, yes. like is a constraint that a lot of people are pushed into much younger. That's why they have they they totally to take on all these careers that yeah. are very very practical that they don't really love. Yeah. But they, you know, they need but at to least they money. might be picking up skills along the way. Right. Sure. Right, but right. I mean, oftentimes, like, you know, oftentimes constraint can be the enemy of happiness. Yeah. Right. right? In the sense of if it's too constraining, mm-hmm. then uh, people make a lot of decisions that have nothing to do with their soul. Yeah, for sure. And so you see a lot, I, you see a lot of that in lots of jobs. You, you could see it go away, go wrong for people either way, Absolutely. where the, the constraints are too tight and yeah. they're just forced into unhappiness potentially to make a living. Yeah. Cause pure practicality is not the happiness of the soul. Right. Right. I mean, the, the, the most human souls want to have some dream. Yeah. And a lot of people's dreams get crushed young. Yeah. From in the worst cases, like early childhood trauma, but in uh, more adult cases, just the practical reality of having to make a living. Like I remember when I got out of college, like I was depressed for two years. I mean, not like clinically depressed, mm-hmm. but just like trying to find a vision depressed mm-hmm. because I just realized like I went from this beautiful environment of college where I had no real constraints. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and my parents in a really beautiful way paid for college and so I never thought about like how I was going to pay my bills in college. I didn't mm-hmm. think about how I was going to pay for college itself. I didn't think about how I was going to pay for food. Mm-hmm. And I just used that time to study and learn and explore. And then suddenly I'm forced into a world where I don't get to explore anymore. And I have the constraint of, I got to pay for my own life and I have to have a job that I hate. Mm-hmm. I'm like, this is terrible. <laughs> yeah. well, so what were you considering at the time? Do you remember? I mean, I had no idea. Like, you know, when I was trying, when I was coming out of college, my, my professors at the time, all wanted me to, or encouraged me to be a professor because I was naturally academic and I was naturally inclined toward academic conversations. And, um, and I loved all that, but I loved it in a practical way. I was studying to learn about life and learn how to live. And so you know, the idea of being the, in the constraint of being a professor who's forced to think about these things, forced to write about these things, forced as a job, like just made me right. feel terrible. I just hated yeah. the idea. And so then I had no idea what to do. I was just, you know, searching for a path. Yeah. Right. Searching for a path. But I was constrained faster than you. Right. Yeah. Because right? I didn't have any, I, you know, I guess I could have, my parents, like it wasn't like they would have kicked me out of the house, Yeah. but I lived a long ways away from my parents. It would, it would have been a big thing to, for me to yeah. go live with my parents. And, I culturally is, yeah. Culturally is, you already moved away. Yeah. I already moved away. Like, yeah. yeah. I never, you know, I never it is, it is culturally different. You know, yeah. I mean, it might be changing, but like, you know, when I was 18, 19 years old, like when you're in a white Anglo-Saxon Protestant home, and you leave, like you're, 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 you're not your really own. welcome back. Yeah. Like go figure it out. Yeah, exactly. Right. Per- and, Persian and Jewish culture isn't like that. Isn't like, no, it's more communal. They're going to, they're going to, they're going to guide you to success or even, even if it's just the perception of success, right. If they, yeah. if they, if they could just help you live a, a lifestyle that's going to um, help you be perceived a certain way, they're going to do whatever they can. To. But they also want you to stay close. They want you to stay close, right? Yeah. There, it's much more communal. Yeah, in there's that no way. like eighteen. We want you out of the house. They want you in the house as long as you know. Yeah. Ideally, they'd want really want you in the house until you get married, probably, right? And then with the guys, they maybe offer a little. With the men, they like they maybe offer a little more freedom because they understand that, <laughs> you know, yeah, to to you know, but um, but yeah, I think you're right. The big cultural 
cultural difference in that way. Okay. So you get to this point and you're like, I, all right, I, I'm seeing the signals. I know I can make good sandwiches. Like everybody I've made sandwiches for, right? It's the old, like every, all the, all elephants walk in a straight line. At least the one I saw did. Yeah. Right. right? Yeah, yeah. And you're like, everybody I've made sandwiches for is love them. Yeah, exactly. Right. But you also have a really, you didn't necessarily know how to lean into this at that point, but now you know for sure, like you have a real good intuition. Yeah, my, so at that point, um, well, like, well, like, I like kind of quickly go through like the mm-hmm. rest of this, to, yeah, like, where we are now. So, mm-hmm. uh, but start with the first drop. I mean, the yeah, first exactly, drop is literally right. like you're yeah. on Instagram. Yeah. So, well, so I get off that call with my brother, and we literally decide like, okay, this Thursday, like this Thursday, we're gonna sell sandwiches. Yeah, so we take an action. I love we, that. We we post on Instagram. Uh, on my personal Instagram and Jessica's personal Instagram, not even the, the Carla cafe Instagram. Yeah. Jessica, my wife. At so the time she was your girlfriend. Yeah. But now, you know, now you've had so much success. You guys could afford to get married. Yeah. Thank no. God. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, uh, we both posted and we're like this Thursday selling this sandwich, the garlic Ellie chicken sandwich out of the house, uh, from this time to this time. The first, how many people? Um, and we're the, I think we were, the goal was to sell 30, 35 sandwiches. Okay. So you knew beforehand, we were you got enough 30, responses. 35. So you didn't say there's only 35. You said I'm making sandwiches. Who wants one? Is that, yeah, I don't think, I don't think we ever, I don't think at any point we ever said what the constraint was of how many sandwiches we can make. Okay. We just said, we're doing it from this time to this time in our minds. We knew how many we could make, like how many we we're going to go for we didn't communicate that. And then when, once we hit that number, we're like, all right, we're out. We, we can't do more than that. So, but I think for the first one, it was 30 or 35. And all those people paid for the sandwich in advance in on advance. Venmo. On Venmo. <laughs> uh, the best. So we like, yeah. And then, and then we they responded on Instagram yeah. and they prepaid for the sandwich on Venmo. And then I used the notes app to basically put everyone on a schedule Right. So I told them you could come at this time because I needed time. I needed time to make sandwiches. <laughs> right. So you had windows. I had windows. You had pickup pick up slots. Basically pick up pick, slots. So from that first time we had this concept of pickup slots. Um, but the so customer, wait, so, so the customer, the customer tells you I want a sandwich on Insta. And then I'm like, do you want to come at this for, time? for Venmo yeah. comes and picks it up themselves yeah. from your house yeah. in the hills of Beverly Hills. Yeah. Uh, and this is in the middle of this is May, 2020 at the height of COVID height of COVID. Um, and so, and then I use that money, um, to go buy the groceries. Right. So there were no startup costs. Yeah. No, startup because costs. the, the consumer was prepaid paying for their, their item. Yeah. So, and, and there's no risk of not selling. It. Yeah. And at that point, because I had been making this, I'd personally do my grocery shopping at Gelson's, uh, which is like a higher end. I don't know if like, if there's Gelson's around the country, but it's like there's a not Gelson's end. in Georgia. Uh, but in Georgia, the only equivalent would be like Whole Foods. Yeah. Right. Closest thing we have. Yeah. Is Whole Foods. I think even Whole Foods is like uh, better price than Gelson's. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, which is saying something. Yeah. It's saying something. So, uh, so, and then, and then I, and I create a little spreadsheet to run my numbers based on the cost that Gelson's. I'm like, all right. So, what's the cost of a tomato? And then uh, what, you know, and then, so I create a spreadsheet that will kind of like spit out what my profit will be. Um, based on how many sandwiches I sell. And when I'm, and when I'm like, kind of like playing around with it to see, all right, how much money could I actually make doing this? I was like, all right, so we're going to do like 30. All right. I'll make a couple hundred bucks. Like, all right, what if we do 50? And then I'm like, and then when I, when I sat there, I'm like, all right, I'm going to get really crazy. I want to see like, what if we do a hundred one day? (laughs) 
<laughs> so the, the furthest I went and like the dream, like if this really explodes and gets crazy, uh, was a hundred to see what I'd make if I sold a hundred. And I think we probably, we sold like 180 probably by like drop three, it's drop amazing. three, drop four by the next week. <laughs> so here you are. Alan says, you, yeah. go make some money now. Three yeah. days later, you have the first drop. Yeah. And within 10 days of that, you actually like have a drop where you make money like you could live on. Yeah. Like pretty, yeah. Within weeks. Yeah. yeah. Because I was doing one drop a week at the time. You started so, one drop a week. Well, I think so. Yeah. One drop. I, mean, I think we pretty quickly like progressed. Pretty quickly. I remember it for it being two, three. Pretty quickly. Pretty I think because I think we, we were, we had to say no to so many people because like we would sell out of like the amount and, and yeah. And I mean, I mean, and even when we sold 30 sandwiches, I was struggling to make them fast enough. So like I, I had a heart, because like scan, you and scan, Jess and me, just my friends, mom, me, just not that the first drop is me, just my mom. And <laughs> you're in there toasting every yeah, uh, to, like, piece of bread yourself. Yeah, in I, the didn't, oven. I didn't understand anything about like, uh, like commercial kitchen prep either. So like I'm slicing a tomato right there for that. It's not like I had like all the tomato prepped out. Yeah. I was like, I'm making, I'm making a sandwich, sandwich right now. I'm grilling the chicken. Now I'm, now I'm slicing the tomatoes. It's <laughs> amazing. So, uh, all right. But so that, that first drop, um, I'm like running behind. I mean, it's at, at, that one is really just like friends and family, but obviously the response was, but yeah. So, awesome. and so I'm make I'm running behind and I'm just making sandwiches nonstop. And like, it was supposed to be like maybe a three hours of sandwiches, but running behind it ends up taking me four, but finally get to take my gloves off and look at my phone for the first time since I like started selling the sandwiches. And I just see like, I have hundreds of messages on like every app of people trying to see how can I get a sandwich? Like, <laughs> so good. and so I'm like, and, my, and, and then the physical labor of making the sandwiches was like, for me, the most, like was the most intense physical labor. I like, like it physically felt like I played like four, like pickup basketball games back to back consecutively. And so like, I'm like walking like gingerly, like to a chair with my phone out and I'm looking at it and I'm like, fuck is this really what I want to do for a living? <laughs> and this then, might have legs, but do I want to run yeah, with it? <laughs> yeah. So I'm like, I'm looking at it and I'm like, uh, there, yeah, exactly. I like the magic What from the, from the first drop, the magic of like, you knew it was there. The magic was there. Yeah. But I, it, the plan was never that I'm going to sell these 30 sandwiches and I'm going to turn this into a career. Well, and, at and, that and, time. and am I willing to embrace Am I willing to embrace this gift I have? Because you are, you are a food, you, you're a food prophet in the sense that you have a lot of vision for food. You have a lot of intuition around food. You can shape things. You could take anything. Like I could say to you, I want you to make a better tiramisu. Mm -hmm. And within weeks, I guarantee you would make a better tiramisu. You would just get, <laughs> if you got deep into tiramisu, yeah. your version of it would be something that people liked better than what they have. And, and that's just a gift. Right. And, and it's a gift that, You've had for a long time because you 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 were paying attention to your own food, yeah, right, and you were paying attention to what you and Jess were making, right. You weren't necessarily showing that gift to many people, your friends, your yeah. family, but this is a moment in time where you're like, all right, am I willing to reveal this gift to the world at the risk of not not less, you know, yes, I'm going to make some money, but at the risk of then having to deal with that as an identity, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. right? Because yeah. obviously like today, lots of people only know you in LA because of the sandwich. Yeah. Right. But now they think of you as a food prophet. Right. 
right right they're like how did you learn to make this sandwich like i don't know i just tinkering i was tinkering yeah like 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 every industry's early entrepreneurs you're a tinkerer right right it's only later you you only get mcdonald's later right right but the first guy's like messing around with burgers yeah and trying to find something chick-fil-a you know truett was in a kitchen tinkering yeah like it's and not that's like where he came ba- up with the his background sandwich. wasn't like food like no he, or, uh, no 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 yeah. i mean he's tinkering right yeah. and but then but then the next generation just took that and turned it into a behemoth right and the third generation now is taking making it even bigger but it all dates back like it just started with tinkering in a kitchen right and finding a, he was committed to a chicken sandwich yeah that he thought was excellent yeah how do i make that yeah and he had a good intuition around it. and you have the same thing and so that moment in time like you're you're at this all right we could have a lot of success but this now may become like an identity and am yeah. i willing to embrace that yeah and I, and then I think it was just the at that time like the work was exhausting like the the actual work of it and and it, it, the the vision of when I'd be able to pull myself out of the kitchen or pull myself out of like the day to day grind of it wasn't clear to me I wasn't thinking about that yet like well, good what yeah. that route would be but you were, you were I was a ways like away from that you yeah. were at least three weeks from that no. <laughs> <laughs> I mean I, yeah no it was longer than that unfortunately I know, I know. I'm just <laughs> but you don't know at the time that's the point is that you're, yeah. you you have to stay in the moment yeah and just do the work yeah make the sandwich great yeah. And then let the, and then the magic has to either is there or it's not, you can't create the magic yeah, exactly. necessarily. Right. Yeah. Like if your sandwich was terrible, there would be no Carla. Right. Right. But it wasn't, it was great. People loved it. Yeah. They posted about it. They asked you about it. They told their friends about it. Yeah. So by, by six weeks in, you're selling probably three, four hundred sandwiches. Uh, four hundred. We didn't get to out of the house yet. We got. Okay. I think we the most we did out of the house was two eighty. Two eighty. Two eighty. Out, out of a small. It wasn't a big kitchen. Right. It no. was. It was. It was literally like. It one, was small. One oven, it right? was small for a for a house in Beverly Hills. It was small. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, but it, and it was also a rental house. It was because a rental you guys house, had yeah. had that fire. The, uh, the was water, fire. Water, water, flooding, water. Right. Yeah, the, the flood, which is it all goes down to the magic of like. <laughs> It was a perfect storm of really un- unfortunate events that led to Carla be able to happen, right? And so, and Carla's not a woman. No, <laughs> it's a it's the street I grew up on. <laughs> Carla's the street. It's the street I of Carla Ridge. Mm-hmm. It's where and it's where, like the ha- the my parents' house where I was making kind of the recipes where I was like where I was creating the food originally. Yeah. Okay, so uh, first iteration, all the house uh, phase two goes to. Uh, phase two. So, uh, there is, uh, Hwood group is, a it's a group that, uh, has restaurants and nightclubs out in LA, but primarily, but then now like all around the world actually. Mm. Um, and so, uh, a couple of different owners of Hwood group were like in the, like just individually coming to the house to get sandwiches. They were eating the sandwiches. Yeah. And so they'd come to the house to pick up sandwiches. And then, um, one of them approached me at some point and said, Hey, uh, we're, all our nightclubs are closed and they all have full commercial kitchens like because of COVID they're closed. So why don't you guys just come start operating out of there? And they like, and like a sweetheart deal is like pretty much like what they would charge. Like they only charge me per day that I'd use the kitchen. And and it was like essentially, uh, maybe like enough to pay like the utilities for the day, you know? And so this is Bootsy Bellows. Yeah. So we started operating. Yeah. Bootsy Bellows on sunset in West Hollywood. So we moved across the street from Soho house. Yeah. Right. 
It's a tough location to start. <laughs> and, and then it, it was also at the bottom of the hill of, of the house that people were already used to coming to. Yeah. So like it basically like it's just save the people same some time. It's the same location, but like minus four minutes to drive up a hill. Yeah. Right. So, well, and you had that, that, that cool setup with the kind of like the valet stand where then mm-hmm. when people could, could just drive up and you could throw it in their car <laughs> right yeah. on sunset. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you could just like swing through sunset and end mm-hmm. up with a bag. I mean, they had to get out of the car, but yeah. <laughs> Do they always have to get out of the car? Uh, yeah. Unless they like DM us and said, I have a baby in the car. Oh they, yeah. <laughs> All right. So they didn't always have to get out. They the didn't car. always have to get out. Special the privileges of the baby but at the end of the game. day you you because you prepaid like they'd pretty much just walk up we'd hand them their food and they'd they'd go off yeah and it was a really nice system yeah um, so, so then at, at um at bootsy did you get up to every day or uh no i think i think we only had gotten up to three times a week out of bootsy how long were you at bootsy uh a little probably a, a little under a year and this is stepping back a little bit but how long was it? Just one no, sandwich? over a year, over a year. Uh, so the first sandwich was the garlic aioli chicken, garlic aioli chicken. I think maybe like two or three weeks later, we released the tuna chop. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. So you were, t- and the tuna chop was a sandwich I had never made yet at that point. But once the garlic, once it started taking off and the garlic aioli chicken sandwich was like, uh, you know, people were going crazy over it my mind already started spinning on what the next sandwich would be. Right. Cause well, you started to embrace your truth, which is your, you know, as a food prophet, then you start to be able to trust your own judgment. So then when you start to have a vision for it, you're like, all right, well they seem to really like this vision. Wait, yeah. until, let me do another one. Yeah. Like, what, what would my mind come up with next? And it's just kind of a, it, it was remembering a, the, well, if you think about a sandwich and then if you think about the way that I eat, it's I, when I eat, I'm very mindful of like creating the perfect bite each time. Mm. And the benefit of a sandwich. You do it so well. Yeah. Right. But, but I'm like, I'm meticulous. If you watch me eat, if there's a plate of food and it's not a sandwich, I'm being really meticulous about every bite. Yeah. And, and then, but what a sandwich allows me to do is basically curate every bite in one compact thing, mm-hmm. right? Where if I gave someone a plate of food, they could just, they might, screw fu- it they up. might fuck it up. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. You can't just stand there and like put spoon it into their mouth. Yeah, exactly. In the yeah. way that you want them to eat it. <laughs> yeah. Right. But it's, but a sandwich you can, you've already, it's like, you know, yeah. And they're so, not going to deconstruct your sandwich. They're just going to eat it. And so the tuna chop was based on a memory of a bite that I created. Mm. Right. So I had, I made, I, when I had like a La Scala chop salad one time and then like they're, they, they have like a nice tuna, but they're, like Italians, so their tuna just has like olive oil and nothing else and i i wouldn't really eat tuna that way so like at home i like dressed up the tuna myself and then i took the salad and i took the bread that they give like on the side and like i made a little i mean i had made a bite and this was just like a bite that i remembered from like two years before and then so when i when i was like i had an opportunity I to make that. sandwiches I love, I love that kind of food memory yeah like i mean i i don't have that yeah so like i love that you're like storing in your memory banks yeah so then i'm like oh i'm gonna make a sandwich based off of that bite <laughs> and, then, and then so then i got out to the kitchen and it, it was literally just one day of r&d and we and i created something like an elevated way better version than that bite yeah and then we're like all right well now we're gonna do the tuna chop this week <laughs> right. well you know i we've obviously gotten to spend a lot of time together in the kitchen <laughs> me not doing anything me watching you and, yeah. and jess and and Britt and you know just around the kitchen doing stuff and watching you uh, sculpt food makes me think of 
other uh, professional athletes I've been around with their sports where like I think of uh, Parnelli Jones and the driving and the stories about him getting in a car, getting in a race car and going and taking five laps around the oval and coming back and saying, these seven things are wrong with the car. Wow. And he could just feel he it. Just could feel it. And they'd fix it up, you know, but he had, but he was a car genius, you know, yeah. just, he was a car prophet. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. And, uh, and so watching you with food is the same. You're like, this just needs more salt or this needs yeah. a little balsamic or, you know, if we just had more vinegar here, like red wine vinegar, or, yeah. right. You know, yeah, yeah. And, and like, you're just like shaping it. Yeah. And that's such a gift. Yeah. So, okay. So the second sandwich is the tuna chop. Yeah. But I think to your point is that for a while, we're only, we're still only doing one sandwich at a time. So out of, out of Bootsy Bellows. So from the right, house, one, sand, house, one type of sandwich a day. Yeah. So it's like on this mm-hmm. day, Tuesday, we're doing tuna chop. Thursday, we're doing garlic, oli chicken, Saturday, whatever, you know, yeah, so, to, to keep it streamlined, simple. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so we grew that. So we grew to a four sandwich menu. Mm-hmm. And what uh, are the four sandwiches? Are, the, are, there, are there four right now? Is that it? Still so, uh, four. Yeah. Four. What are the four sandwiches? Garlic, aioli, chicken sandwich, uh, tuna chop, chicken pesto, and turkey bliss. God, they're so good. <laughs> when I when I think of L.A., the only two things I crave in L.A. are Carla sandwiches and sugar fish. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Everything else. That's like, good company. <laughs> it's good company. <laughs> and so, you know, first thing I do when I, when, when I'm like landing in LA, you know, the, the, we, uh, the I'm looking across the concrete jungle <laughs> of warehouses and houses, occasional palm trees, and we're flying into LAX and I, I can actually start thinking about like, I'm like an hour away from a Carla sandwich. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and now you're on Uber. Yeah. So now I can order it up on Uber eats. I, we had Carla sandwiches delivered to Malibu. <laughs> Isn't that amazing. Yeah, right. I was so shocked when they delivered it like North Malibu, not like, not like Santa Monica yeah. adjacent Malibu. This is like deep into Malibu. Country. Yeah. So we should, well, we should get to the, 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 the Uber part of it too, I guess, because yeah, yeah, because for the longest time, one sandwich only, and then, uh, pick so you, up only you leave Bootsy. You leave Bootsy. Uh, after no, we a start, year. we start Postmates out of, out oh, of you Bootsy. did. You so start, the okay. early, very early Postmates. Uh, at the tail end of Bootsy. How did that come together? So, um, so our, our sandwich sales, we basically for probably about a year, our only constraint was supply. So if we make 300 sandwiches available that day, it would sell out within like an hour or less a, a day before. Right. And then on, on pre-orders. And so, and then our only constraint is shit. How do we, how do we make a little bit more? We, I think we got to the point, I think the most we did pick up, we, we, uh, pick up only out of Bootsy Bells. We hit like 420 sandwiches in a day. People coming up. Yeah. Pick, mm-hmm. pick them up. And, um, but then we hit that. And then at some point there started to be a little bit of a, a decline trend in our sales. And so then I was like, well, what can I attribute this to? And, what we realized is that as LA started opening up, the the whole the pickup only process was something that worked well during COVID in LA because no one really had anywhere to be. Mm-hmm. So for them to just have like a pickup slot the next day was like it was their activity for was, the day. Yeah, it was kind of something to get out and do. But as people as like their kids started going back to school and they started going back to work um, and traffic started going back to normal in LA, like all of a sudden, like, you know, because we would have people driving out from Venice 
It didn't um, matter. I mean, during COVID, it, didn't it was matter, so magical. It, during COVID, it was a, like a 15, 20 minute drive from Venice. You realize how small LA is when there's no traffic. Oh yeah. And, and how amazing LA is. Amazing. Like that's what LA is supposed to be. That's right. Right. LA, it's when a, they first put those freeways in in the sixties was probably just magic. Yeah. So we, we realized that it's, it's not that people stopped liking our sandwiches. It was just that, uh, the system no longer worked as well. So, uh, we did a deal with uh, Uber to get back on the uh, to get on the Uber app or Postmates to get on Postmates and Uber Eats, and then uh, is Postmates owned by Uber? Yeah, they yeah, are. Yeah, okay. they got okay. bought. Um, pretty close to like when we went on, maybe like a few months before. Okay. Um, and then uh, and then yeah, so then we get we got onto Postmates out of Bootsy, and then the scale the sales just like skyrocketed again. Hmm. Um. Oh, something else that happened. So like we would have people request sometimes to get like the tuna chop as a salad. Right. And so on our, like the bread haters. Yeah. Like people that are trying to be healthy. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Wait, they were like, can I get it? Bread's as a salad? not healthy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so dang it. We kind of had like secretly some people knew that there was a salad and the, and the way to order it was a little bit like disjointed to mm. order a salad. But it was off menu. It was kind of an off menu thing that we, and we would sell like, I don't know, like 10 a day. Mm-hmm. And then a deconstructed sandwich. Yeah. But once we were going to be utilizing the Postmates software and then um, having at that point have all the full menu available every day, mm-hmm. then I, I, I had a hunch that like once there was visibility for the salad, we were going to start selling more salads. But our luck, uh, there's a big influencer out in LA uh, named Tinks. She's she's big for for women probably across the country, mm. uh, and she happened to order the salad the day before we were going to be opening on Postmates, <laughs> and she posted like a. a a series of stories onto Instagram, like freaking out over the salad. salad. So then like the first day we had, we like, we had this perfect storm of the first day we launch on Postmates. Uh, we also have all of a sudden, like, like hundreds of girls, like trying to come figure out how to get a salad. <laughs> so like we, like we sold like, I think like 120 salads that day, but like now the salads are just a thing too. So, so like since then it's been like a mainstay. We've now added another salad to the menu. So what yeah, are the now, two? So you have two salads, two salads. What right are now. the two salads? It's a chopped salad, tuna and, chopped salad. Uh, yeah. Well the chopped salad, you could either get it with no protein or tuna or chicken. Okay. And then, uh, we just added a salad called the riff salad, which is, it's, it's chopped that, a little bit. It's oh, amazing. amazing. You'll yeah. love it. Uh-huh. Oh, you'll love that salad. What's in that one. That's the first salad I made where it was like my vision for a salad, Ooh. right? Because the chopped salad was just like, all it is was one topping that goes into the tuna chop sandwich. It was just one component of the tuna chop sandwich. And then we just put in a salad container. Yeah. Right. But this riff salad is basically like my, me actually curating. What do I, what do I want in a salad? So you'll love it. Mm. Yeah. Well, generally I know if you like it and you made it, then I'm going to love it. <laughs> right. Because, uh, I, we're, I'm fortunate enough to have a, well, and clearly I'm not the only one, but, um, the things you like are a palette that I love. And that's obviously true for thousands of people in LA. Yeah. Um, Pretty you, cool. you, you're, you're curating what we actually want, but we didn't know how to get. Yeah. Right. It's like, like jobs with an iPhone. Yeah. We didn't know how much we'd love it. Yeah. But once it was in our hands, we we're like, Oh, this is, 
<laughs> this is fun. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> what could go wrong with this? <laughs> <laughs> he knew exactly what he was doing. Uh, okay, so you you expand the menu. You're on Uber Eats, Postmates. You're doing all of this out of a Bootsy Bellows ghost kitchen, basically. Yeah. And then, but then you outgrow that space. Yeah, and then uh, then we move to another uh, another ghost kitchen. But now it's every day. And then, yeah, we, we eventually got to every day being open every day. And now like, you know, people can just pull up Uber eats and order mm-hmm. Carla any time of the day Yeah, or whenever you're open. Yeah. And and even that is like a, it's a constraint. It's, it's, we, we really wanted to have continue to have an in-person connection with our customers. Um, but we weren't gonna kind of like force it or like do it too soon or force it. Um, into a space that we weren't going to be excited about. So, but so now, we went that, to the but ghost that's coming next, right? but that's coming next. Yeah. yeah. So what's yeah. the, what's the story on that? Are uh, you, how much of that are you revealing? And, and, uh, yeah, not a ton yet, okay. but yeah, <laughs> but there is, yet. but there is something brewing. There's something brewing hopefully in like the next month or two. Oh, that's exciting. Yeah. yeah. People are going to go bananas. <laughs> I hope I so. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So, um, what I want to do is I want to wrap up, kind of this conversation about Carla and we're going to call that this podcast one. Okay. And then I want to close it up and then we'll have a podcast two Cause then I have a whole bunch of other stuff I want to talk to you. About. All right. Perfect. All right. So, um, uh, what's, what's some of the vision right now? What's some of the vision you have for Carla from this point? What are some of the things you're imagining? I would say start with menu. Like how big do you think the menu gets? Like no, right the, now, menu, the menu will always be tight. So it's important that like, I think, I think when, when, when we see like a success like Carla, cause to me, that's like a part of that is just magic. Like, like a lot, a lot of things had to happen along the way for it to work out. And then I, and then I think, and then you get the benefit of examining what's working. And I, and I think a part of what our advantages of why I think we could deliver food at a much higher level than so many other places because I, because I don't think it's just, I don't think we're just the best sandwich shop. I think, I think it's hard. I think it's hard in LA or probably anywhere to get food at that level. Mm-hmm. That's um, exactly right. Well, um, it's like I said, I mean, you, I think you, you with the constraint of tiramisu would make the best term. But some, yeah, but some of it is like how I create it. Right. Like, so some of it is taste, mm-hmm. right. And, and the original creation, but then the next part of that equation is like, okay, well, how, how do you execute it at that level consistently? Mm-hmm. And I think, uh, a tight menu is important for being able to do that because if you want to actually be able to continue making these things in house Mm -hmm. and not like totally industrialize it and, or if you don't want to have uh, a huge amount because, or, or if you have a big menu, you, you start struggling with, I'm either going to have a ton of waste, which then will just make it not profitable and we won't survive. Mm -hmm. Right. Or, or we have to start compromising the quality of what we're using because we're not going to have the waste because and that's because, unacceptable. Right. And it's not acceptable. So, so mm-hmm. to me, like to be able to continue being Carla, mm-hmm. right. What Carla should be, it's going to require a tight menu. Well, and there can Carla, the, the brand that is Carla. Yeah. Can't have anything on the menu. That's a throwaway. No, that, that doesn't make sense. When I go anywhere and I have, I, when I go to a restaurant and I have something that's not good, 
And then, and then someone tells you, oh, well, you're not supposed to order that. Well, why, why is it on the menu? Why, why would you ever put something on your menu that someone could come try, have a bad experience and then not come back? Right. So I think that's important. You can't have everything. Well, you would, be- you would never have something on your menu that you weren't excited about. Yeah. But that's, but that's really the thing that oftentimes is lost as, as restaurants get bigger and become more corporate is who's the curator. Mm-hmm. Right now, like you're the ultimate curator mm-hmm. of what is allowed on the menu. Yeah. And that's an incredible gift because when people come into Carla, they know they're sitting down and looking at a menu that Avi's approved. Yeah. Right. I'm serious. <laughs> yeah. but, but that's an incredible gift and no different than uh, if you were a technology guru and said, this is the phone you're going to love. And every time I picked it, I'm like, you're right. That's yeah. the phone I'm going to love. Or you were a, you know, whatever. Like, you were a wine critic and you yeah. were like, these are the 10 wines you want to buy. And I was like, Avi's always right. <laughs> 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 and so, you know, the, that's such a, that, that's such a gift to people that they know that you're, you're, you care about the menu enough to not put anything on it yeah. that you don't think is excellent. Yeah. And I think, uh, while we're talking about it, it came, it came to me to answer your question a little bit better. I think, my vision for Carla, like one, something I always think about is I want Carla to be a place where you can eat every day. Mm. Right. I don't know if not, obviously not everyone will, but, but we, we just talked, but we, but we just talked about Chick-fil-A yesterday. Yeah. Right. And, and how I often? asked you uh-huh. what, what percent of Georgia is eating Chick-fil-A on, <laughs> is any, eating given day? on any given day. Right. Mm-hmm. And when I think about Carla, right. It, so the menu needs to be able to meet that those requirements. Like it needs to be able to satisfy. Don't you have a breakfast burrito now? Yeah. Yeah. yeah right. So oh, like, right. right. Yeah, so yeah, then yeah, like right. you want to be able to people to get, be able to get Carla at different times of the day. Right. Yeah. So might have it for lunch one day. might have it for dinner. Yeah. Might have it for breakfast. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it needs to satisfy that. It needs to satisfy convenience. Right. Like if, if we want it to be a part of people's like everyday lives, mm-hmm. it just, it can't, it can't be like, Oh, I need to drive 30 minutes to get Carla. So eventually it needs to scale to the point where it could be convenient for people to have it daily. Yeah. In all the locations starting in LA, all the locations in LA that people would like Carla. Yeah. Right. Like people in Pasadena would love Carla. Right. But, but it's harder to get in Pasadena. Yeah. Right. For now, for yeah, now, yeah. although we might put, I mean, I wonder if I could Uber eats it in Pasadena. I, I think, could. I think sometimes during certain hours, certain hours, the way, certain the traffic. Way, yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm, yeah, Uber mm-hmm. picks up on traffic, but it'd be better if it in Malibu, if I could in Malibu, just go to the Carla. Right. Right. That'd be more convenient than not more convenient, just more flexible. Right. Then if I could only get it on Uber eats and it took 45 minutes. And so you know, maybe I'd rather have it right there. In that I restaurant. think so. Yeah, of right. course. So, and then when we think about growth and, and so obviously con- convenience is a component. Mm-hmm. Um, but the other part of our growth was like generating excitement for people. So I think that the way we think about growth is we're going to have some locations that are like flagship locations. Like this first one's going to be kind of like a flagship location, right? Mm-hmm. Where it's going to be really focused on an experience that when people come, they're going to be excited about it and they're going to want to post on social media. Uh Right. And it helps generate the growth and excitement, which has been like fundamental to our business. Uh And then I think, and then we're going to have, but at the end of the day, most of the locations, I think as we grow, will be less about that. Um, I think we'll have like a mix of like flagship, but then most will be just these hubs. That's like just all about convenience, like Uh get in, get out, 
like located in a, in a place where like either within a neighborhood or an office stack. Right. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's, that's what we're thinking for the future of Carla. Yeah. So then the, the next future, you think it just stays in LA in the immediate in the immediate. Yeah. I think, I think growing within LA, I think because, because part at of- this point, so many people from uh, New York, Chicago, Atlanta, yeah. uh, London have had Carla yeah. while they were in LA. Yeah. And the way I think about this, and they're probably all like me. They're like, God, I wish I, wish I could get a Carla sandwich right now. <laughs> How many the, times have I texted you be like, I need a Carla sandwich right yeah, now? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, but the way I think about it, and it kind of goes back to some of the things I've learned from like the tech fundamentals is, is think about it in terms of testing. Like I don't, I don't want to take an unnecessary risk that could like collapse the business. Mm-hmm. Right. And so, of course not. and, and, but at the same time, like when you, when you do, when you are, you are thinking about, well, I think we could do well in New York. Well, you, you do like want to figure out a way to test that sooner than later. Right. Yeah. Like you want to, because, because then like New York, like opens up the door to a whole nother market. Like first, just like then broader New York, right. Like one location will then like, if there's excitement, then, then it opens up the door for broader New York, but then just different people traveling to New York, uh, and then like East coast. Right. So, um, but then, but then even within LA, I think about it as like, there's, there's tests to run even within LA of how many locations do we need? Just like within, like, like, I think we're going to test having a location in West Hollywood. Mm-hmm. And then like, we're, we're, I, I, I should talk to you about it, like off mic, but mm-hmm. we're going to have another location. That's not actually that far from West Hollywood, but it's like a sweetheart deal just like mm-hmm. at the bottom of an office stack in an area where it's just like all offices. Right. And, and like just within that, just being able to test like that, that just tests like a location that's less about excitement for the consumer, but yeah. more about functionality. Right. And yeah. then, and then how, well, do, the, yeah, hopefully, how do those hopefully two, it's in century city and it's just all of those offices that are just ordering <laughs> everything. You're just going to every single day at CAA, there's going to be stacks of Carla sandwiches. Yeah. I mean that would, you know, that made perfect sense. And, yeah. and that I would, I love that functionality. I mean, I'm not saying it's right. I'm just saying, Century City would be an amazing place to do that. Yeah, right. right? So I, I totally get that notion of having a small location at the bottom of a stack that really all around you is just people who want to consume these right. various sandwiches and and salads and and and, and even though it's like it's it's like under th- three miles away from like the where the first location is going to be, right? It's still three miles in LA is different world. Yeah, it is. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's yeah. why I always tell my friends from the other place. I'm like, listen, the, the best way to live in LA is you have a nice house that you really like. Your office is within two miles of your house. Yeah, and you don't leave that bubble. Yeah, right. And then hopefully it's on one side of the four, like both, both like your work and home has to be be on the same side of the four. Has to be. You can't can't be in a a four or five crossing situation, especially not at five o'clock. That brings down all of the joy. Yeah. Yeah, All right. We're going to close up the, uh, the the Carla cafe section now. uh, And then we'll move on to podcast number two. Awesome. This has been the Black Hole Podcast. You can find us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Thanks for listening.